Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Good evening. It is fantastic to be here. It is great to see you all. What a what a great group on a Tuesday night, almost as it Wednesday. You know, when it's a, a conference week, you, you just start losing track of time and days. And if you said it was Thursday, I'd probably believe you. And uh, that, that's what happen, uh, happens in weeks like this. But delighted to be here. Thank you, Jeff, for the gracious words. And I was thinking about that, too, in terms of, you know, 20 years now that I, I've known your pastor. And, and thank God for that trip to Albania that... It was life-changing. It absolutely was, and, and God is still using it. The things that I gleaned and learned and, uh, from that time, it was just such a, a crucial time for me at that, at that stage and season of my life. So I thank God for the opportunity to have done that. And just to be with you this week, in terms of in the mornings, it's just been terrific in terms of just spending time with, with friends, really good friends, and, and my teachers. I mean, the, these are the men that have poured into me and are still pouring into me and to be able just to be in their presence and pray with them and, and still learn and, and glean from them. It's, it's just been a, a real, real blessing, I thank God for it. Speaking of, of teachers, uh, it's, it's an honor to be here with, with my pastor, Sam. I don't know where he is. Sam, are you in the room? Where are you? There he is. Hey. So, man, praise the Lord for him uh, thankful that, that he and I and, and the rest of the MBT or some of the MBT pastors could be here and leaders uh, from Midtown and just thankful for Sam's support to, to just uh, whatever God is, is up to in our lives. He's just for, I love him and have learned so much from him in particular in these last six months that have, you know, I was thinking about that. It's like, you know, we've all gone to shepherd school, but there is no class to say, here's how you lead a church during a pandemic. And so I have gleaned much from the guy who is 20 feet down the hall from me who's had to make some very critical decisions involving God's people. So I thank God for that. And then just the brothers I get to, to, to co-labor with there, uh, to have them here, it's just been rich. Now, having said all that, if I say anything tonight where you're like, man, I have no idea what this guy is coming from, you can put it on Sam. All right? <laughs> so... And Jeff, because they taught me, right? So praise the Lord. Can we pray? And then we're going to hop into Exodus 14. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the salvation that was brought to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And God, thank you for your word that you've given us that is holy and high and perfect and uh, so very sufficient. God, it's a very trembling thing to uh, stand in this position and, and even just say a word. But, Father, as you've done time and time again, would you just help me be obedient to you, to be a vessel that you can use for your honor and glory for the edification of your people. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So, as we heard from Randy last night, who cranked our tractor, 
I think, if, if I can. I, I had to work that in. I was like, I got I to gotta work that in somehow. I think I just did. So mission accomplished there. Uh, Randy met with us and talked to us about, about following by faith. And where we're going to go tonight is we're going to talk about walking by faith. And if you think about those two, they're obviously very close. And, and, and you can think of them in terms of a two-sided coin, right? Where you find one, you find the other. In other words, you, you can't follow by faith unless you're walking by faith. And you can't walk by faith unless you're following by faith. But when we're talking about walking by faith, this is very, very important. Walking by faith has everything to do with your perspective of God. It absolutely does. And that's where we're going to be looking tonight. But, but, but having said that, I, I want to take it one more step and establish this principle. Because if walking by faith has, has, has to do with your perspective of God, then this is very, very important. As far as God is concerned, the most significant perspective in your life and in mine, as far as he is concerned, is your perspective of him. As far as God is concerned, God is is so very particular about how you view him. And that is so critical to God because how you view God determines, number one, how you're going to approach him and deal with him and respond to him, okay? But it also has to do with how you're going to view and approach and deal with everything else in life. So if your perspective of God is not correct, God will be so very interested in helping you to get that right because once again, that is very significant to him. How do you view him? How do you view me? God wants to know. So here we are in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belzevon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Now, as we heard last night, God was leading his people. We saw that very clearly, and this is reinforced for us here in these opening verses of Exodus 14. And that is very significant with respect to what God said to Moses in verse 2. He said that ye, he says that they, sorry, that they turn and encamp. Now, this is critical because wherever Israel is about to find themselves, what we can take from this is that it was absolutely going to be of God. Whatever situation they are about to be in, whatever predicament they are about to be in, based on that statement that they turn and encamp, it was of God. The instruction for them to turn meant that, listen, they had to change direction. God was leading his people. This is what he does. And he was specific in verse 2 about where they were to go. And this is what God has been doing in Exodus 13, as we saw, and and now here in Exodus 14, is is God is deliberately leading his people. This is what he does, and this hasn't changed. He is still doing that with us. 
through his word and his spirit. But verse 3 begins to unpack this for us even more. Verse 3 says, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now, as it relates to the locations that we just read about, they can't be pinpointed with precision as of today, but here's what we do know. Based on what we just read, to the human eye, Israel seems to be in a no-win situation. To the human eye. Uh, This does not look good. It's not favorable. However, if we're walking by faith, we know better, don't we? Or at least we should. Because regardless of appearance, the believer, listen, the believer must always know this. We must always know this. Listen, God is always greater than our circumstances. He always is. And this is preserved for us in verse 2. Would you look at it? Uh, Pi-hahirith, it means place of liberty. Well, how about that? Because, you know, that was not Israel's situation in Egypt, was it? It wasn't a place of liberty for them. As a matter of fact, it was as opposite of that as you could be. It was a place of bondage and affliction and hardship and drudgery. Migdol means a tower. David will later say, as we know in Psalm 61 verse 3, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Belzevan, Lord of the North, it means, and when you can pair scripture with scriptures, has judgment in view. So as the strong tower of Israel... God was about to set his people free and judge the Egyptians. Uh, This is what God is telling us here in Scripture. It might not have looked that way, but that's exactly what God was doing. In that great trial that Paul endured in Asia, consider what we find in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 and 10, but We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ tonight, God has delivered us. He is delivering us. And he will deliver us. Amen? Praise the Lord. Despite a pandemic, uh, despite a recession, despite all the nonsense and craziness going on in the world, that's the truth. Listen, in Christ, we have won. In Christ, we are winning. And in Christ, we are going to win. That is all that we can do. I wonder tonight, as believers in Christ, I wonder 
If you would agree with the Holy Spirit regarding what we find in 2 Corinthians 2.14, now thanks be unto God, listen, which sometimes, maybe, occasionally, no, 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 no. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth who? Us. Us to triumph in Christ. Do you believe that tonight? And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in some places, every place. With that promise in mind, listen, God is greater than our adversary. Uh, He's greater than our circumstances, but uh, be not mistaken, he's also greater than our adversary. Would you think on these statements? Look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say, verse 4, God said, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, a lot we can say about that at a very high level. Listen, all God did there was harden a heart that was already hard and was only going to be hard. Okay, high level. Verse 4, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, let me ask you a very, very important question. So up until this point, based on what God is unpacking for us here in Exodus 14, who thinks they are in control? Pharaoh thinks he's in control. Uh, Pharaoh will say, (laughs) Pharaoh thinks he is in control. In his mind, this, this, this fledgling nation of idiots have walked right into a trap, and he's about to demolish them. But according to the word of God, who was actually in control? It wasn't Pharaoh. Not even close. Pharaoh thought Israel had walked into a trap when in reality he was about to walk into one because God is in control. The battle between God and Satan is often likened to a chess match. Please don't get it twisted. Don't get confused. It's not even close. God is several moves ahead of him. The evil that Joseph brothers thought against him, God meant it unto good. Haman thought the gallows were being made for the Jews, but in reality, they were being made for him. The furnace that was heated seven times hotter for Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was actually what God would use to see a new decree issued that said every people, nation, and language that spoke anything immense our God would be cut in pieces and their house would be made a dunghill. And yes, that means exactly what you think it means. The wicked conspirators of Daniel thought they were setting the table for the lions to enjoy a nice meal. And they were setting the table, except what they didn't realize is that they were going to be the entree, not Daniel. The Bible tells us that those lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces. God is greater than our adversary. And we have to know that. 
The problem, however, is too many of God's children are buried in the narrative of the world. In this, they believe that God has somehow, he has lost his omnipotent touch. Maybe he went to the doctor and maybe he too has COVID-19. So at one point, he was the God who could do exceeding abundant above all that we could ask or think. But as we survey everything going on in the world, clearly he's not that guy anymore. He's lost that. Satan subtly propagates that narrative through the media. But when we're buried in the narrative of the word, we know so much better. Paul told us that the Lord Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. And he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. See, God can cause us to always triumph in Christ because Jesus has triumphed over the adversary. Colossians 2.15. Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ says in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, uh, he defeated our adversary and his army. And listen, he did it openly. Listen, it was the most decisive defeat in the history of mankind. It was decisive. And God was about to deal with and defeat the Egyptians in decisive fashion. Verse 4, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So look at verse 13. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. God was telling his people, listen, I'm getting ready to flex my omnipotent muscles. I'm getting ready to show you and them who I am. I am he. I am greater than your circumstances. I am greater than your adversary. And I'm getting ready to demonstrate that decisively for my glory. That's the narrative of the word, not the world. And because it is so, you look at verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians, that we should die in the wilderness. Now, very simple question. 
When Pharaoh drew nigh, were the children of Israel walking by faith or walking by sight? They were walking by sight, weren't they? That's why they were so afraid. Would you agree that up to this point, that God had done more than enough for them to walk by faith? Would you agree with that? I would certainly agree with that. And on the surface, it sounds really nice that, well, yeah, I mean, here's the enemy, and he's drawing nigh and closing in, and, well, yeah, they cried out. That sounds wonderful until you consider what followed that. (laughs) They weren't crying out from a place of faith. Moses, you have led us out here to die. Was that really God's plan? (laughs) I mean, really, was that God's plan? Here's the second truth about walking by faith. Listen, faith respects the plan of God. Faith respects the power of God, and it respects the plan of God. God had a plan for his people. Always has, always does, always will. And that was made clear, we heard that last night, that was made clear before they ever left Egypt. Consider Exodus 3.17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the plan. That was the plan. God said nothing about, I'm, I'm going to bring you out of this land and, and I'm going to bring you into the wilderness just to die. That wasn't the plan. God told them what the plan was and Moses would have told them that. Obviously he did. Many of God's people have been struggling for months now, discouraged, afraid. For years though, they have sat in rooms like this where they've heard sound teaching. They've heard the truth of God's word. The problem is they didn't receive it. So when 2020 blew up, so did they. When in reality, had they been paying attention, had they been listening, God was trying to equip them and prepare them for 2020. But they missed it because they were too preoccupied with other things. Uh, Some of the, the petty and carnal, childish distractions that believers can get caught up in in church, a little turf wars and all the nonsense that goes on. When God is saying, I'm trying to speak to you, I'm trying to prepare you, I'm trying to equip you for what's coming. When you're walking by faith, you always know that God has a plan because you can't walk by faith without walking in the word. And this results in our next point. It results in pure prayer to God. Results in pure prayer. I'll tell you where I'm going with that. After Paul and Silas were stripped, 
of their clothes and beaten with many stripes, they were thrown into prison in Acts 16. And they weren't just cast into prison. The Bible tells us there that they were thrust into the inner prison. So their imprisonment would, I guess we would liken it to solitary confinement. I mean, prison is terrible, but that's even worse. And if that wasn't enough, they were made, they made their feet to fast in the stocks. This was a torture device that would have induced cramping and intense pain. Oh, but of course, that's lightweight. I mean, that's lightweight compared to what we're doing. I mean, come on. I mean, that's nothing compared to, I mean, really, does God expect me to still attend church and tithe and, and share the gospel and make disciples and, and have a heart for missions? I mean, I mean, listen, Paul and Silas, they would wilt today in this situation, wouldn't they? I mean, I mean, really, I'm serious. It's amazing to me that it's subconscious, but uh, there are some believers who have this idea that, that God is sitting on his heavenly throne saying, wow, man, you guys are in a real pickle down there, huh? <laughs> I tell you what, you know, sorry, I, I didn't see this coming. I, I tell you what, man, you guys just do the best that you can, and once this settles down, you can start coming to church again, and you, oh, Chris, I would never expect you to tithe right now. No, give it to Amazon. <laughs> After all, you're going to need some, something to help you stay comfortable at home, or, or maybe when it's really cold, when you're going out to dinner to have a nice meal with your family, because, of course, you can't get COVID there. You can only get it at church. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Look at what they did, Paul and Silas, Acts 16, 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. See, in Acts 13, the Holy Ghost said, separate unto me. Saul for the work, Barnabas and Saul for the work whereinto I have called them. So in Acts 16, when Paul was humiliated by being stripped and beaten with stripes many times and cast into the inner prison with his feet placed in socks, you know what? He was on his second missionary journey at that point. In other words, listen, he was full aware of the fact that God had a plan to use him to advance the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. That was the plan. He knew that. This is why he and Silas could offer prayer and praise unto God, not, God, what are you doing? <laughs> See, walking by faith also results in a pure perspective of God. It always does. So we're saying earlier, right? Walking by faith has everything to do with your perspective of God, which God is so very concerned about. 
This was not some cruel trick God was playing on Paul and Silas. Now, this principle that I'm about to share with you, it is so preschool that you might be so offended that you might get up and walk out. I would understand. Like, listen, I did not set aside time in my busy life and schedule to come and hear this guy from Kansas City who knows nothing to just give me this principle that is uh, fit for my kids, toddlers. But I do find it necessary. Understand, our God does not play games. Our God does not play games. He does not. Exodus 14, 11, Has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? See, that exposed, in that moment, that exposed, listen, that exposed their perspective of God. It does. Listen, what we really think of God is always exposed in hard moments. What we think of God is always exposed in hard moments. Make no mistake about it. Please understand, brothers and sisters, six months ago, God was not sitting on his heavenly throne bored to death. And he called a meeting with the Godhead and said, you know what, guys, I'm just, you know what? How about a pandemic? Uh, How about some social unrest? And I'm going to sit back with some popcorn and just watch them squirm. I am just bored, man. I mean, gosh, after a while, what is is there left to do? You got believers who are just I mean, God, what are you doing? I don't like this. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. Why did you let it happen? And it makes no sense to me. And and until you make this better, I'm done. Like he's playing some cruel game. That cannot be the behavior of someone where it is said of them that their wisdom and knowledge are deep and their ways are past finding out. Romans eleven thirty three, where it is said of this person that their foolishness is wiser than men. God doesn't play games or tricks. He doesn't tease. Finally, Verse 13, and Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. The Lord shall shall fight for you. The Lord shall fight for you. If there is a phrase to underline in your Bible, it's it's that. And ye shall hold your peace. 
We saw earlier that God already had a plan for them. God promised to bring them into the land now. I want to give you a very, very critical point. At least this has been critical for me, but, 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 but this is very, very critical. You have to get this. You have to understand. I've got to understand this. This is so critical. Listen. In moments of crisis, the believer should always remember what God clearly said to them before the crisis. They're in a crisis, are they not? They were. But God had said some things to them before they ever got to this point. You know, it's amazing to me. I'm sure this has been your experience. There have been times where I'm, 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 I'm sitting at the feet of, of Christ and I'm, 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 I'm reading his word and, or maybe I'm sitting in the service and I'm getting, a, you know, Sam's preaching or, or whatever. And, and for some reason, there's something that I'm reading or I'm hearing that is really resonating with my heart. And I don't know why. Like, God, why are you impressing this upon me? So I began meditating and praying and and I'm looking around trying to figure out exactly what, what is this? And why is God giving this to me now? And so I make peace with it and I let it go. And then three weeks later maybe, three months later, six months later, here's a crisis. And guess what the Holy Spirit does? Remember that morning when you were sitting at the feet of Christ? And remember I spoke to you from book, chapter, verse, and you began praying and trying to understand and discern what that meant? This is what it was for. So, okay, man, it has blown up. Whatever's going down, God says, I've already prepared you. I've already told you how to think, how to respond to this. Do that. Well, I've got to talk to Sam. Well, actually, you don't. I've got to email Jeff or i got to talk to I, No, no. I've already spoke to you. Go with that. King Saul failed miserably in a moment of crisis at Gilgal, and 1 Samuel 13, didn't he? And why did he fail? He fell because he didn't hold on to what he was given in 1 Samuel chapter 10 by Samuel. God had already told him, this is what you do. That's it. In this final point, faith rests in the promises of God. Faith rests in the promises of God. Verse 6 and 7, and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. So many of you are familiar with the Jewish historian and scholar Josephus who died in AD 100. And he wrote that the Egyptians pursued Israel with 600 chariots, 50,000 horsemen and 200 footmen, all armed. So here's this nation, hemmed in, not equipped, not prepared physically. 
for what's coming against them. They are beyond outmatched. With women, children, and elderly. And let me get this right. You want us to fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show us today. That's exactly what we were thinking, Moses. (laughs) Far from it, right? See, faith that rests in the promises of God produces confidence in the heat of battle. It produces confidence in the heat of battle. It does not produce fear, but confidence. A confidence that no matter what or who is coming against me is not greater than the great God who is for me. Romans 8.31. And nothing screams confidence like standing still in moments of intense testing. Where it, I mean, it, it defies logic, it defies all the human stuff we can think of. And what was said to Israel, has it not been said to us also? First Corinthians 16, 13, watch ye stand what? Fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Ephesians 6, 1, 6 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil, and we can go on and on and on, but this uh, speaks to us taking a firm faith position. And that faith position is based on what God has said to us. We stand in that. We stand on those things. God is not a man that he should lie. So we stand confidently in these last days, resting in God's promises also produces peace in the heat of battle. The Super Bowl that we are so very familiar with in our country is, sorry Browns fans, I know it's been a while, so... But there is hope, as we've learned in Kansas City. There is hope. But the Super Bowl is, it is the largest athletic stage that there is. I mean, millions upon millions of people watch it all over the world. So for you sports fans, you'll remember this, but Super Bowl 23, 1989, featured the San Francisco 49ers and Ohio's own Cincinnati Bengals. Remember that game? It was a very fine game. And so here we are in the fourth quarter, under four minutes to go. The Niners are down by three points. Score was 16 to 13. Cincinnati was ahead by three. The Niners get the ball on their eight-yard line. Now, if you are a halfway intelligent sports fan, you know that's not a good situation, especially in that game against a very, very good defense, the Bengals at the time. But they get the ball on the eight-yard line, so they've got to go 92 yards 
to score a touchdown, but a field goal would have tied the game. But, but still, it was, a, it, was, it was not an ideal situation. So here they are in a, in a TV timeout, and the great Joe Montana, he's in the huddle with the team, and the, the, the timeout, as you know, longer in the Super Bowl. So he's just trying to stay loose. And, and as he tells the story, he goes, I could sense that the team was more tense than normal, especially Harris Barton. He was a great offensive tackle for the Niners. He says he he would always get nervous, but even more so in this situation. So as they're in a timeout, they're in a huddle, Joe Montana looks up and sees John Candy, the former actor. And he says to the team, hey, isn't that John Candy? And they look at Joe Montana first like, what? And then they turn and, yeah, sure enough, that's John Candy. Oh, okay. As, as Montana tells it, he says, you know what, that moment, what it did was it, it helped the team relax. It, it helped them just stand back and, and focus, and sure enough, they just start methodically going down the field. Play after play after play after play. For many of you sports fans, you've seen it a hundred times where Joe Montana hits John Taylor on a slap touchdown. Niners win a Super Bowl. I've heard different guys talk about that game who were in that huddle, and what they said was, they said, in that moment, we realized that we had not Joe Montana, but we had Joe Cool, one of his nicknames. I mean, to this day, there are some who think that Joe Montana was the greatest ever to play the quarterback position, although in Kansas City, we might disagree right now. We feel pretty good about our quarterback. We feel very good about our quarterback, to be honest with you. And we think when it's all said and done, he'll be the greatest ever. Amen? All right, very good. So you might have Troy here, but he's still a KC man at heart. I know that guy. But here's what the team said. They said, you know, it just, we knew that if Joe Montana, if he could be that relaxed, and that calm as our quarterback, we were good. You see, up to that point, Joe Montana had led the 49ers to about 20 fourth quarter comebacks. And so they knew what he could do. And it helped them relax. And it helped them focus and execute their game plan. You go, okay. I know you're a sports fan, but that was a very long illustration. Please tell me where you're going. Here we are. We're in the fourth quarter, are we not? We're in the fourth quarter of this dispensation. And we have the greatest of all time. We have the greatest of all time who is leading us down the field. So here's what he's done. What he's done is he's called his church and we're in the huddle. We're in the huddle. This is the last drive. We're in the huddle and he's, and he's called the play. And here's the play. All right, everybody. You ready, church? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Everybody got it? Break. That's the play. 
And he comes out of the huddle and he stands as the captain, as Jesus cool. Because he's got this. And like a good quarterback, he gets to the line and he's got a cadence. And he's talking to his team, he's talking to his players, and it goes like this. Hey, tell them. That's evangelizing. Hey, teach them. That's discipleship. Hey, train them. That's equipping. Hey, task them. That's sending. That's the play. Would you please hear me? Here's what he's not saying. Hey, CDC. Hey, Donald Trump. Hey, Joe Biden. Hey, civil unrest. No, 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 no. Hey, everybody, here's the play. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Tell them, preach the gospel, teach them, make disciples, train them, equip them, send them, task them. That's the play. That is the play. You got it? I don't know of another play. If, here's the issue. Man, a crowd this size, this is probably likely. Some of you have called an audible. And for you non-sports fans, that's where you change the play. And maybe it's something that I just mentioned. But that's not the play. Because the play is based on the plan. And the plan has always been Matthew 18 to 20. Our God is powerful. He's greater. Do you believe that tonight? If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've not met him personally, we are so glad you're here. But let me tell you why you're here. You're here because he wants you to meet him. And, man, you are not here by accident, and we're so glad that you came. But for those of us who have met him, are you running the play? That's it. It's that simple. Would you agree? Lord in heaven, I want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what you've given us tonight. I do, play, I do pray, God, that we would receive your word wholeheartedly for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.